0: Make headlines in F1 2018, the official video game of Formula One. Coming to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on August 24th. Get exclusive cars if you pre-order now.
1: Amy Rob Zachney? What did that mean? <laughs> that means long time no see in Flemish.
2: Outstanding. And that is the official language of the Belgian GP?
1: Uh, I, uh, well, I don't there's, know. There's
2: if there's a... no, as I understand it, there are actually no language controversies or cultural divisions at all whatsoever in Belgium. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, the Flemish greeting will go down smoothly and well with all Belgians
1: absolutely nope they don't speak anything else not dutch or any variant thereof uh yes we're racing in belgium uh i'm drew scanlon that's rob zachney danny o'dwyer uh is on uh dad duty what is the word i'm looking for
2: paternity
1: pa- P- that's it i almost said patreon leave that's, <laughs> that's different <laughs> no this is like the uh, opposite
2: of patreon leave
1: y- yes <laughs> Um, But yes, welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. We don't actually have a uh, last race to talk about because we discussed Hungary uh, last time over the the mid-season break, but thankfully, Rob Zachney, the mid-season break is coming to a close because, oh my God, I don't know how much longer I can go without race cars.
2: I am really looking forward to this race. Um, It's always a little bittersweet because I would say the European part of the... Part of the calendar is my favorite because it's got a lot of the, uh, you know, the classic F one circuits. Sure. In, in a lot of ways, uh, but at the same time, like it'll be good to have it back, and I do love this racetrack.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a really great track to come back to because it is so iconic, uh, the Spa Francorchamps track, um, and we've actually only got one more Italian. Race after that It's Belgium and then Italy And then we go around to Singapore, Russia, Japan The United States, Mexico, Brazil And Abu Dhabi So uh, it's a hello goodbye for Europe But yeah,
2: Spa's awesome No, I mean it's it's one of those tracks uh, Like There used to This used to be a really common sort of archetype For F1 circuits, right The old like, yep, we just <laughs> there, was a, there was a forest, there were hills We just put a track over them And we're just going to run some cars around uh, yeah. And it's sort of like this holdover from a much, I don't know, much more like naturalistic approach to circuit design because, like, it was just—I'd say cavalier, maybe. Cavalier is a great way of putting it. If you <laughs> if you look at sort of the casualty lists uh, yeah. for 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 the old days, especially if you like look at, have you ever seen? Um, oh, I think the movie. I think the movie's just Grand Prix, right? It's a Frankenheimer movie with uh, James Garner. It's with James. Garner. I've never seen it. No. um it's like it's a it's a melodrama, but it's got a ton of uh onboard footage from that era. It's Frankenheimer, like the master of shooting automotive chase sequences and races and I think he like shot it in like 70 millimeter or something like that, uh, oh, and wow. it's all uh, vintage f1 uh, footage and a lot of it at the old circuits and i think I think it is spa. Actually, that has one of the more dramatic incidents uh, in the movie, which is um, one of the racers who has mixed feelings about Formula One. Like, it's again classic racing melodrama. Like the big <laughs> one of the big tensions of this movie is this dude basically being like. I must keep racing. I don't know if I should. And like the job of the woman <laughs> in this story is to be like, "Don't you see what it's doing to you? It's not worth it. Why do you why do you risk everything for for racing?" And he's like because it is the best sport in the world and it it proves I'm a man. <laughs> and that's basically how he's rolling uh until like there's an accident and he like uh, takes out like a bunch of spectators in Belgium, but the footage in Belgium—this th- is the sort of stuff that happened back in the day. The footage from that era and y- that you see in the movie, literally, like they would just be racing these, racing those old cars down like a country road, like packed with like spectators. It was like a rally. Yeah. It was like it was like rally racing uh, is yeah. today. It still freaks me out. It freaks me out in rally racing it's dangerous enough, but like the idea that that's how it used to be in F1 that everyone was just cool with the fact that you'd be barreling along like a forested road in an open wheel race car with like dodgy <laughs> suspensions and it was like, yeah, that seems that seems normal. Let's put people there. <laughs> I mean, This track
1: specifically, it used to be gigantic. Uh, I think it was like 19 miles or something. And it would go throughout the forest. And there weren't people all along the track. There were like some spectator spots. But then there was like big sections of track where cars would just disappear and not come around again. People would go like, huh, wonder where he is. And then like find him hours later.
2: Yeah. No, This is one of those... um, So, years ago, there was this um, ghost-written book. It was, like, a Jackie... It was Jackie Stewart's first autobiography, but this one was written by um, a ghostwriter, and it was just called Faster, and I think the guy's name was, like, Mancuso or something like that. And really, like, it's clearly in the ghostwriter's voice more than Jackie Stewart's uh, a Mm -hmm. little bit. Uh, The guy's other uh, automotive work was called Vroom. That was literally the title of Vroom. (laughs) But... The book is pretty interesting because it's um, an account of the year that Jochen Rindt uh, won the F1 Drivers' Championship posthumously. And he was a good friend of uh, Jackie Stewart's. But one of the things that Stewart like, makes a point of mentioning in this book is that like he wasn't a fool. Like, he wasn't going to just like, die for no good reason in F1. Uh, so he would like contract to have his own medical team brought along to these events. Uh, because like the the racing organizers didn't provide a response that was worth a damn, so like Stewart always made sure that like there was an ambulance and technicians like on his payroll that were there just for him uh, wow. if if he got into trouble. But yeah, uh, the fact that like in those old days, um, yeah, it was you'd literally have that. Well, they sort of disappeared. They're out there somewhere.
1: Yeah, uh I, I think it's there's a movie called One. It's a documentary uh that is basically about that. It's about Jackie Stewart um in those eras or in that era, um uh, basically having to do it all himself. And it's is actually really a, a good movie. Um but yeah, Spa is one of those legendary tracks. It's in the Arden Forests, which is the site of the Battle of the Bulge, which is really awesome. I actually looked up the uh like the map, uh like and this is basically as far as the Germans swung right before spa okay um, so it's 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 right on the basically the front lines which was pretty cool uh, it's seven kilometers long now a days uh, or four point three miles uh, and has got a number of iconic corners um, of course a rouge which pretty much everyone can recognize if you've ever seen an f1 commercial or a promo or a photograph or anything it's that big uh rise that turns to the right and then the left as it comes to the the top of the hill and you take Um, it
2: flat out and blind
1: yes yes especially in the these new cars it used to be that you would have to lift in some of the old cars but these days it's a it's a flat out curve and that you cannot see the top of the hill uh when you when you go up it um but the rest of the track is great too it's got a lot of uh strays chicanes it's a nice mix um, and we've got a longer DRS straight actually at the top of a Rouge, uh, down into the, it's a kind of a, mm, I don't know if it's a 90 degree right hander at the end of it. Oh,
2: it's those, it's okay. It's the, it's it's the, the first 90, 90, 90. Yeah. It's Lacombe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's Lacombe. a fast right hander into the lead straight into a fast left and then a fast right again. And then I think you, you start beginning your downhill run at that point.
1: Yeah. And then it's a, it's not a it's not a hairpin, but it's a 180 degree turn. Yeah. Uh, And then you got some long turns, Puhan's pretty long, and then you've got some more left and rights, and then back all the way down to uh, the start, finish straight, and right before it is another chicane. Uh, And then you've got uh, the start, finish line, which actually culminates in a hairpin before
2: you go to Arouge. So it's, it's got a lot of stuff on going track on track so much. Like this is probably the one I've driven in Sims more than any other. Like every time I get a new racing Sim, I'm like, all right, well, I just need to see how the cars handle. So I'll go to, uh, I'll go to spa and, and just see what's up. But each sector of this track is so different. And I think the thing I love about that, that back half of the circuit is that you can take it blindingly fast, but you have to really like nail each corner complex or else you're going to lose more speed than you can recover, right? Like, mm-hmm. you really need to have, like, the perfect line, especially in that last sector, like, as you uh, clear the Stavalo turn and you enter this, like, series of really fast turns that you can basically, basically take flat. But, again, you need to make sure you're properly set up for all of them. Uh, it's it's really great. Um, and then there's the... I don't know. I'm, I'm always amazed at where they choose to start this race. Uh, you know, the old, like... A lot of other series, I think, start on the run up to Au Rouge. F one starts in a dive into the Les horse Hairpin. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know. There's a lot of chance for <laughs> chaos at a yeah. hairpin. That's kind of fun. Uh, maybe they don't want people going tight through Au Rouge. It might be a safety yeah, thing, actually. Like you, be. you spread out a little bit before you actually get there. Um. Yeah, I mean, a lot of really great moments have happened year here throughout the the years. Uh, <clears throat> most recently, uh, O'Connor and Perez got together near the wall twice in one race race, which is one of the scariest onboards I have ever seen. And I will link to it. It's I think it's Ocon getting squeezed to the wall, um, and they're going you know they're going like two hundred miles an hour on the way up to Aurouge. It's just it's so scary uh yeah there's also sorry. i was just
2: gonna ask like is that i think that is like the first moment where it started to become clear that there was just a poisonous relationship in that team's camp that those two drivers just would not like you know there are teams that let their drivers race and then there's cases where like the drivers actively appear to hate each other and that (laughs) that's where it like was clear that that was the case at force india because like you don't make that move you don't make that move on like guys from other teams Right, like you yeah. generally don't squeeze drivers that hard and like try to put them into the wall. Schumacher did a couple times, uh, and he was probably as bare knuckle as you, as as you ever saw. Uh, but you don't see it between teammates uh, that often. It was a ruthless move.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know if that was before or after. Azerbaijan where they also came together i think it might have been after but that this was like man they are they are not letting up because usually that if that happens one time with a couple teammates they get the talking to from the team and then they're good but this one you're right it was clear that they were like there was there's some bad blood there
2: um perez putting the squeeze on alcon who just had who had the run like there's no reason to make that move uh yeah i love it
1: yeah. Uh, also, one of my favorite animated GIFs that has come out of F1 is um, this onboard from Alonso in 2012. It's the, it's the start of the race, and he's coming to the hairpin, and he turns a corner, and then suddenly, Roman Grosjean's car just cartwheels in front of the camera. And you're like, how could that possibly have happened? How did a car go from behind me to just spin- rotating in front of me across my view? Uh, I will also link that. F1 has a pretty good onboard shot of that as well.
2: And then you can find it. Uh, and F1 seems to do a bad job of archiving a lot of their classic, classic duels, which I don't fully get. But like uh, Hamilton and Raikkonen in 2008 had this amazing uh, duel on like a slightly wet track. Um, so it was like mixed conditions. And they were just running flat out. And they both like. They they were both well beyond traction, so they kept like running on and off the circuit, and they were really pushing the limits of like. Did you really give back the racing advantage you got from like running wide there or like cutting a chicane? Uh, it was very controversial after the fact. I think the stewards even uh, took away Hamilton's position at the end of the race because he hadn't uh, handed back a position or hadn't observed or hadn't handed back the time advantage he gained. Uh, But it's an amazing, it was was a great duel, Uh, and it was really one of those moments where you realized that Hamilton was going to be something, like, you did not see that many drivers being that fearless uh, in 2008. Hmm.
1: Wow, okay. Uh, I I also, (laughs) because I was starved for racing, I watched the 1998 Belgian Grand Prix, which is on F1 TV's archives, Uh, and holy smokes so many things happen in that race there's uh, i won't spoil it if people want to watch it but things you might watch it and go okay the interesting part is over i can stop watching this race but amazing things keep happening in it so even there are there are some red flags that you can skip through of course yeah uh but man it's that's a good one and it is one of the few uh on F1.tv's or F1 TV's archive. I'm actually gonna jump down to the Twitter section here and uh, call out at Call Me Little G, who says uh, to um Shift F1 podcast on Twitter, cracking Andrew Benson article on Fernando's exit from F1. Spoilers for the news. Uh, especially this list of greatest hits uh, we'll definitely definitely look these up, perhaps something for Shift F1 podcast fans in the summer break. And then he links to a BBC article that basically says, like, look at how awesome Alonso was. Uh, Valencia 2012, Imola 2005, Singapore 2010, Japan 2008, Italy 2007, Malaysia 2012. All these amazing things that uh, Fernando Alonso has done. None of those races are available on F1 TV archive. So I'm not sure why that thing exists it's
2: so it's so frustrating because like you you see the perennial complaint that like the series has become a little boring there's not enough overtaking action uh like what's what's cool about f1 and they've made it very hard to show people like well this is the stuff that like we talk about for years later and this is the stuff we live for like um you know, like that 2008 race, uh, just kind of vanished. You can watch the 2000 duel uh, between Hocken and Schumacher if you want to see that rivalry at like one of its best moments. Uh, really, kind of, I think, crystallizes uh, the the two drivers' styles and strengths. Uh, so that's a that's a, that's a good video to look up. But yeah, it is shocking how poorly archived uh f1 history is you know
1: yeah and i gotta believe that there's all kinds of weird rights stuff associated with that and then when they put it up they want it to be in in good condition so maybe some restoration has to be done because i imagine a lot of that stuff is on tape tape
2: yeah
1: um but you know they do have uh i think race recaps like little five to ten minute edited pieces but i don't want that i want to be able to go back to like 1991 and watch the whole season. That's what I want. And currently that is not possible to do. I don't even think they have any full seasons, uh, even like last year, which is... What? Yeah. Come
2: on. Yeah. Um, The recent stuff, how do you not have that uploaded? Yeah. Uh,
1: a few more stats from formula one themselves on spa and the drivers uh lewis has retired here four times more than any other track uh raikkonen has won here the most at four hamilton's got three wins and fettle has two uh this weekend will be hamilton's 111th start for mercedes uh 111st if you're bill baggins surpassing his career total at mclaren at 110 he's the only man to make 100 grand prix starts for two different teams and the only driver to make 200 starts for one engine manufacturer. Dude has raced a lot. Uh, Raikkonen is seeking the 100th podium finish of his career this weekend, something only previously achieved by Schumacher, Hamilton, Prost, and Vettel. Despite a good finishing record here, with one win and two podium finishes, Ricardo has never st- started in the top four on this track and has only outqualified a teammate once, Dan Cafiat in 2015. Verstappen right. has never finished higher than eighth in three starts at Spa and has never completed a lap in the top four uh, and the most successful track of his F1 career so far, Hulkenberg has twice finished fourth at Spa, but only once at any other circuit, Korea, in 2013, and has still never had a podium finish after 147 starts. I'm calling it. Hulkenberg gets a podium. Spa.
2: Calling Bold it. prediction. Very. What's your uh, uh, What's your ranking in Fantasy F1? Just trying to get the just trying to gauge the quality of that prediction. Uh, How are you 100, doing?
1: A hundred and fifty first.
2: Okay. Okay, so maybe don't take that to the bank. But Ooh, he's on my team. Yeah. He's, he's on my fantasy team. Uh, okay. But
1: the weather for Spa always plays a big uh, part, especially because it's one of those Tracks where it's got microclimates. It can be raining in on one side and sunny on another. Um, qualifying day looks to be, let's see, kind of chilly, fifty-seven Fahrenheit or fourteen Celsius. Um, in uh, at race time with sixty-three percent humidity, uh, decent wind, fourteen or uh, yeah, eleven miles an hour or eighteen kilometers an hour, and precipitation looks to be. 25 percent on qualifying day uh nothing in terms of precip on race day but um similar humidity higher temps 62 degrees fahrenheit 17 celsius and uh uh lower wind so qualifying fingers crossed should be pretty awesome uh pirelli tires tire information we've got medium soft and super soft uh this track is tough on tires five for tire stress and lateral force uh four on asphalt grip two on downforce and three for asphalt abrasion we're doing 44 laps uh for a grand total of 308 kilometers sebastian Fettel holds the lap record from 2017 uh, I could not be more excited for a race. I mean, this is it, it's second only to the uh, the start of the season. Is is the restart, um, especially now because we can kind of look at we're looking ahead to next year with all yeah. the driver announcements and stuff. Um, which I think we should just jump right into with the news. As we said, Alonso dropped the bomb that he would not be returning to racing in F one in twenty nineteen. Uh there are a lot of caveats to that. He basically left the door open. If anyone wants him after twenty nineteen, he'll be around. But oh, interesting. uh but he So
2: he yeah, just does not rulers, want to drive for McLaren and F one.
1: I think he wants a he wants a competitive car. Yeah. Is the deal. Um and like we've said before, he might not get that, even though he's arguably the best driver, because he's burned so many bridges. So
2: um, who knows? It's interesting. Like, I don't know if we talked about this in the last show, but um, Horner made that comment. Uh, Christian Horner at Red Bull made that comment that you know, as as he is wont to do, he got a little off the cuff and just started like sharing <laughs> yeah. his feelings and thoughts uh, about things. Uh, follow Christian at uh, Blogspot now. Um, <laughs> he uh, he mentioned that like you know has a ton of admiration for Alonso, but I think he said like. The guy, the guy causes chaos wherever he goes. Yeah. Basically, was the uh, what was his verdict? Which I'm really curious what's behind that. Like, I gotta believe that Horner's got a pretty good sense of what's talked about in the paddock. It's true the guy has had drama uh, throughout a lot of his career. Uh, remember, remember, like his time at Renault kind of came to an end when uh, Nelson Piquet uh, Junior. Uh, was sort of caught in that cheating scandal where he, he had right. that like planned crash that he sort of coordinated with uh, Flavio Briatore. And you know, so there's that issue, there's the fact that like he went over to McLaren and immediately had that poisonous relationship with Hamilton. Uh, but was that all on Alonso? I don't know. Um, it didn't seem like there was that much drama at Ferrari. It just seemed like the team kind of sucked. But I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing uh, where after a certain like you could say his instincts have always been kind of bad about where when to jump to a team. Um, he's had bad luck, but enough bad luck at a certain point, people start wondering like, is it you? Uh, and I think that's kind of where Alonso's yeah. ended up, like behind the wheel, unparalleled. You know, but that's not everything. In the garage, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, um I don't know. I it's he's a fun guy to watch, so uh, I would be curious to see what he would be like in an IndyCar season. There are continued rumors of him going there for a full season. He's already doing uh, a lot of World Endurance Championship races, although he actually he the whole uh, Toyota team, all three cars got disqualified from the last race because of some technical infraction. Uh so yeah. I don't know. I can't I just I can't be excited about world endurance championship when there's only
2: really two teams in the top series yeah i mean so my attitude is um you you have to you have to start following for like the the top tier like gt pro i think is the sweet spot like that is amazing racing action uh mm. and that is the series to really follow uh but yeah like it does have this problem that the, like the top tier of the prototype cars it's just nobody has the interest or budget to sustain a world-class program uh, for that long. Like Toyota's cleaning up right now, basically because they're just like, damn it, we've got all these sunk costs. We're going to see this through and we get our trophies. (laughs) Uh, And then probably they're they're probably going to get bored and leave eventually as as everyone else who has done this has eventually done.
1: Yeah. Uh, So yeah, they'll make like Alonzo and leave. Um, So after Ricardo went to Renault and Alonso dropped the bomb that he will be leaving McLaren, signs then went from Renault to McLaren to replace his fellow Spaniard, Um, which then everyone was like, well, then that kind of makes it easy. Who's going to go to Red Bull then? It's Pierre Gasly. And he has indeed been confirmed for Red Bull to pair against with Max Verstappen. Uh, which I think is a good, you know, I he has impressed next to Brendan Hartley, yep. which I think you can only, you know, uh, be compared against your teammate. Really, and, I thought you were about uh, to say something kind
2: of, really mean. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and I think he'll be he'll be a fun one to watch. Um, so that whole that whole loop has been closed. Ricardo to Renault uh, signs to McLaren. Ghastly to Red Bull but we still have a lot of unconfirmed and Van drivers. Dorn yeah Van Dorn question mark
2: pointedly not getting the vote of confidence from the team at this point um.
1: yeah you would you would think that if he was a lock they would have they would have locked him down which is kind of what you could say about everything here Raikkonen if if Ferrari th- believes him to be like Mr. Solid
2: uh, dependable guy why haven't they locked him down um so i felt bad i saw this interview with kimi uh where he's like yeah i'd like to know uh my family would like to know and at a certain (laughs) point it's it's like kind of shitty to think about like even these dudes at like the pinnacle of motorsport right like world champion uh one most talented drivers in the world and you're still kind of getting jerked around at the end of your career by your boss yeah uh i don't know it's it was one of the most human like Things I've heard from Kimi, where it was one of the most relatable things I've heard from Kimi about this, like, look, man, I'm trying to make plans with my family and shit, like, do <laughs> I have this job or not? Uh, and I like, I kind of felt for him in that moment. I was like, damn, like, you shouldn't do Kimi like that.
1: Yeah, I, I just think a a conservative company like Ferrari, especially when you've got a driver like Vettel, it doesn't make sense to drop Raikkonen no. uh, for, for some young gun even though Leclerc is uh really fun to watch and is a, another driver that is smoking his teammate uh, and who I really really like um I don't I don't think he I don't think, for, I don't think that's Ferrari's MO right um although if, if Ferrari stays at Ferrari or if Sainz stays at Ferrari I don't know what happens to Leclerc Sauber isn't doing so bad so he could just stay there but personally I'd like to see him at Haas uh, I think Magnuson seems solid, so you keep him. Grosjean though hasn't really impressed this season. Uh, I I kind of hate to do grow, grow, grow like that because like it's kind of like what have you done for me
2: lately? Um, Too but, many mistakes. Too many. Like it's not just bad luck; just lapses that you can't have uh, at this point. Yeah. Uh,
1: maybe put him in Sauber. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it really goes like that. No uh sauber though has also not confirmed anyone um neither has haas so i i you know you got to believe erickson sticks around because he brings with him some dough uh taro rosso hartley didn't really impress but Gasly's already gone so do you want do you need an elder statesman there to you know mentor a newbie uh, or do you just you know cut your losses and say all right two new dudes Going at Toro Rosso, uh, that one I don't know.
2: Red Bull's kind of in a weird position with their driver pipeline uh, right now. Um, I think the sport in general is developing like an increasing youth bias that I'm not sure is statistically like borne out uh, hmm. in terms of results. But at this point, like the 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 primary team at Red Bull is going to be a really young, uh, really young garage, really young uh, duo yeah um, now you can say like it's a really experienced organization like they're going to be surrounded by people who've been to this rodeo many, many times, like Christian Horner is a driver himself he's been doing this for years like there's a lot of possibilities for mentorship there uh at the same time, it does sort of seem like i've always been I've always suspected that there's some utility to the like have your you know your young gun, your 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 star, your future ace, and then have sort of a Mister Reliable in the form of a like Rubens Barrichello or a Felipe Massa, uh, somebody who like you know they will give you an, a good understanding of what the car is and can do, uh, and they will also be someone who can be a resource uh, for for the younger driver. That doesn't appear to be an option Red Bull have left themselves. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. They just, I don't know. I'm sure they have, I mean, I know they have a lot of other drivers waiting in the wings, but in terms of like, are they ready for F1? That's, I mean, we're going to have to see. Um, McLaren also has a driver waiting in the wings. He's Formula 2 driver and McLaren driver program member Lando Norris, who's also doing a free practice session at Spa. So he's the other guy in potential for uh for McLaren with Van Doren uh Force India we'll get to them they've got a lot of things going on um we mentioned last time that Stroll's dad came and bought the team so does Stroll come in what happens then uh what happens to Williams Sorotkin probably sticks around does Robert Kubica come in
2: oh man that would
1: Robbie is just sitting here
2: I will back any reshuffle that gets Kubica uh, a drive, I would be so hyped for that.
1: I, I saw some quote of his saying um, he was driving a car years ago, back when he was in F one, and like had to cover, was like covering a hole in the floor or something as he was driving um, up O Rouge. So he took O Rouge with one hand, and he said, "Well, I, I can basically put eighty percent of uh, my hand strength in my right arm." Um, or 80% of it's in, in his left hand and 20% on his right arm now. So I would actually be driving with more hands than I was back then when I was trying to cover up a hole in a car. Uh, I would, I would love to see that. I think that's a great comeback story. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the silly season is not over yet and already it's looking to be like a fun 2019. I think. You know what I would love to see is I would love to see Magnuson at Ferrari, Kimi,
2: and Leclerc at Haas. Okay. Think about that. But would Ferrari ever want to see Magnussen at Ferrari? <laughs> Absolutely
1: not. No, Magnuson yeah. is way too much of a loose cannon.
2: Yeah. Uh, Kimi to Haas, I could I could see that being a useful. I don't know. It's it, it's it's a very strange thing right now. Like the narratives start going against Kimi really badly, but like he's driven a good season overall. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know. I'm I'm very curious about how all this is going to shake out. And the LeClaire X factor does make this incredibly hard to parse because he has been like doing really well at Sauber, but that was a team that was kind of ready to pop. Uh and again there's the the weird factor of Vettel does not want a rival. You know, Vettel does not want somebody who's going to come in and be like, you never want to be, you never want to be Fernando Alonso when Hamilton shows up at McLaren, right? Where like, you're just, you know, you came here, this was going to be your show, like you've been, you're the guy who's going to be running things. And then here comes a kid who doesn't give a shit about who you are uh, and that the organization really likes. Yeah, I mean, he
1: Vettel uh, dealt with uh, – oh, no, he didn't. I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> – I was going to say he dealt with Verstappen, but th- that was Ricardo.
2: Yeah, but he didn't um, get along with Ricardo either. Remember, like, when yeah. Ricardo started out driving him, uh, when Red Bull was starting to struggle a little bit, um, you know, he tried to throw his weight around. He tried to get the team to, like, use team orders, and Ricardo was like – remember there was that one – I want to say this might have been, like, in Australia, where they're like uh, – you know, Seb's times are faster, uh, but he's stuck behind you. And Ricardo's response is basically just, "Well, that's too bad for him," and just like drove <laughs> on, and that was the end of it. Uh, and yeah. that'll left shortly thereafter. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't like that. Uh, I think he's very much in the Schumacher mold of like. He wants he wants the best car. He wants to lead from the front, and he wants to drive like he just wants everything to be like clockwork. He can race if he needs to. He would really rather not. and He would really rather not race his teammate. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think you're right. Ah, still fun stuff, and it's not over yet. Um, but speaking of uh, weird team troubles, uh, Force India still not out of the woods. Um, Apparently, we've got we're getting more information about how that. Uh, purchase of the team happened with strolls dad Uh, apparently him and his group of investors needed permission from 13 indian creditor banks to buy the company force india that wasn't going to happen in time so they instead just bought the assets like the car and the gear and stuff Um, which means to enter a race they now have to become a new company so because they didn't buy the company force india is that that team now that car is no longer the old force india car so they would have to race as an entirely new entity uh under the rules i don't see um or, or not race at all. So I don't, I don't see Chase Carey allowing them to miss a race. I think uh, for the sake of the show, he'll figure it out. Um, but there is a rule saying that teams forfeit their right, right to a share of F1's revenues in the event of any change in legal status. That quote from uh, racefans.net. I think by virtue of them losing their points since they are effectively a new team. Um, so this could hamper them in the future in terms of money if this does take place also additionally uh another consortium of potential buyers headed by the father of force india development driver nikita massapin is protesting stroll's dad's maneuver saying that uh that's not that wasn't the right way to buy the company and you should give it to us instead so Bottom line: everything is confusing. Forced India isn't out of the woods.
2: Yeah, like just hearing that, I'm getting flashbacks to like trying to get my lease signed for my apartment. Just like <laughs> I'm trying to imagine like going around, like trying to like sort out a company that's in financial distress uh, with like major debts to 13 different banks. Uh, yeah, like that sounds like a nightmarish deal to close. Uh, but at the same time, like so. The other thing I think in one of these stories. There was a group of teams like who are pushing to deny permission to force India uh, to either race or to be granted uh, continuation as being the same company. Basically, trying to like screw them out of their um, share of the revenue. <laughs> I imagine everyone behind
1: them in the constructors championship is trying to do that.
2: Yeah, uh, entirely possible. Although uh, that also just. You know, the big, like, Ferrari's definitely been a team historically that gets very, like, if you're down, they will come along and knife you uh, a little bit. So I could see them being uh, one of the teams involved in that as well. But I really hope this gets worked out, uh, especially because, like, if this team gets to continue, but they end up being considered, like, a new team and don't get their share of the uh, money distribution from the season you're going to start that team out by completely like kneecapping them. Yeah. Um, which is like, is not what it's not what F1 needs.
1: No, it's not. And like I said, I, I, I think Chase Carey will do everything in his power to, uh to, to make the show go on. Uh, Cause they're, they're a good team. Um, but related to that is uh, for 2021, F1 is introducing uh, much stricter cost regulations. And going forward, they're kind of tapering into that. So uh, next year, according to racefans.net, there will be a soft budget cap um, and then step down year after year after year to finally get to the 2021 regulations. And I think if I'm reading this article right, it'll be $150 million per team next year. Uh, Managing Director of Motorsport Ross Braun says we have... We only have to look at the situation Force India finds itself in to understand how crucial this is. The financial burden on teams is not sustainable in the long term, and we are taking steps to put a limit on how much a team can spend. Uh, interestingly, he he has um, consistently, in my opinion, been saying all the right things, uh, and he has a really uh, illustrative... Quote in this article that I didn't copy down. I'm trying to. Here we go. At the moment, I think a top 10 spends, a top team spends twice what a midfield team spends. And if we reduce that margin to around 10 or 20%, then there is something for the midfield teams to aspire to. There will still be an aura around the big teams, but a midfield team doing a great job will be able to compete. And I think this is the right attitude because if you, if you make it like, uh, You know, strict communism, then we're going to have something like NASCAR or, uh, uh, I don't know enough about IndyCar to say that about an IndyCar, but, um, I don't know. I I think this is the right way going forward.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have, uh, I have a lot of mixed feelings about all this stuff because I've never, like, they've basically, like, as long as I've been watching F1, there have been two issues that, Come up again and again. How do we how do we improve overtaking? Every yep. like every year, that's like one of the discussions, uh, and their answer like changes from year to year. Uh, you know, oh, we're going to uh, you know drastically reduce the aerodynamic elements you can have, and then like three years later, they're like, you know, it would really help overtaking better arrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you know, that's something you you see a lot. And then the other thing is, how do we fix the the cost structure of F one? And I've always sort of wondered. Like, there's definitely an element of it's just pure the midfield teams being outspent by the big teams. I've also always kind of suspected that by kind of radically revising the technical regulations, you know, every couple of years, I suspect that is a lot harder for smaller teams to adjust to than the big ones. Um, mm-hmm. And that's in the, And I've always sort of wondered if maybe that isn't the thing that, even more than just, like, raw spending power, is the thing that, like, sustains these gaps, is that after a certain point, like having to do all this fresh R&D for a new uh, set of technical regs, that is not a huge ask if you're a car manufacturer with massive facilities and R&D departments to tackle this. If you're not, uh, then having a complete overhaul of what your car can be and can look like is going to put you in a hole that is just going to be very hard to dig out of. Uh, and so I've, I'm like, I think probably like enforcing some kind of cap is good idea. Uh, I'm curious how you account for stuff like the fact that manufacturers have a lot of facilities that other teams might not have access to. Like, can you know, if you're Mercedes, can you do the like, well, we've got this wind tunnel and it's free. Uh, can you play that game? Uh, if you're a manufacturer, yeah. I suspect you probably can. You're still, you're still charged for the time you book in the tunnel. Um, but I don't know. I just, I, I wonder the degree to which, uh, like the technical stuff keeps the poor teams poor.
1: It's yeah. I mean, it's such a tricky situation. It's, it's <laughs> trying to, uh, be all things to everyone. Uh, and it just seems like an impossible <laughs> task. So, uh, I, I do not envy Ross Braun one bit. Um, I, uh, I also do not envy the job of the, uh, formula one broadcasters, um, which we were treated to an amazing video that I I originally saw in the Cloth Map Discord kicking around. Um, But this is uh, the incident from Germany where Vettel goes off, or was it, uh, sorry, not Germany. It was Germany? Yeah, it was Germany, where he goes off uh, the track and hits the wall uh, while he he was leading. Uh, They take the footage and then overlay the audio of the... Um, control room of the broadcasters. So you are hearing the director telling what cameras to switch. Uh, You are hearing um, uh, people saying like, I've got this shot. I've got this shot. Okay. Take it. Uh, Ready on the helicopter. Go to the track mix. Keep this pan on Hamilton. It is like as a video nerd, especially one who did a lot of live switching for uh, many years at giant bomb. It was so fascinating to watch, uh, especially in like this really contentious uh, or this really like high-stress part of a race. Like there's a part where Soveto runs into the wall and... And it's like hammering on the steering wheel, really angry. And they're like, stay on this, stay on this. And then there's a shot from the helicopter of him out of the car walking along. And then he like kicks a rock because he's so angry. And then everyone's like, yes, all right, good shot. Glad we stayed on that. It's it's super cool. And I will, I will link that in the show notes.
2: God, live production always seems, I could not handle the stress. Uh, my friends who- It's
1: like 12 people talking at the same time.
2: Yeah, my friends who've done it. The like the other weird thing is my friends like when I worked at Red Bull, I worked with uh, some really good uh, broadcast folks, and I swear to God, it was like a narcotic for them. After a point, though, like they hated the stress of prep, and like they became almost feral, like on the eve of a show and like as a show began, but afterwards they were just like high out of their minds. Uh, yeah, I can well. totally
1: sympathize with that. Yes, uh, and you can you can. You can hear it in their voices in this video. They're just like so amped up uh, and so focused. I think that's that's really what I'm getting from it. Like imagine having that kind of intense focus for a solid two hours. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a cool video and I'm glad F1 put that out. Uh, yeah, really cool.
0: Drive fast, drive smart, make headlines in F1 2018, the official video game of Formula One that puts you behind the wheel of the fastest racing machines in the world. Make a name for yourself as you speed across international racing circuits to overtake your rivals in F1 2018's revamped career mode. Become the league's most respected or most infamous driver on the track. Be prepared to establish yourself off the track as well. Increase your value in contract negotiations. Answer intense on-the-fly press interviews and build your F1 vehicle up to speed through improved R&D systems. The ultimate Formula One experience launches on August 24th on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Get to 2009 Braun and 2003 Williams classic cars if you pre-order now. Strap in for F1 2018. Make headlines.
1: Speaking of other things that F1 put out, uh, their Beyond the Grid podcast continues to be really, really good. Um, they just had one on uh, or with uh, Jacques Villeneuve, who I had never really heard from before. Aside, I, I knew that he was an ex-driver um, and he was a Canadian, and has talked a lot of mess about Lance Stroll and how he's a rich kid. And so for that reason, I was like, okay. You're being pretty... uh, All I've seen from him is being abrasive and apparently he is cut from that cloth, you know, the sort of uh, James Hunt, uh, I'm a race car driver, don't really care what anyone says. Um, I think he's also a broadcaster for the Canadian F1 coverage, but... um, And while I still don't really, uh, you know, agree with what he says about Stroll a lot, um, I think he might be awesome because in this podcast, he noted that he collects not only does he collect vintage computers, uh, he also is and has been a huge gamer. Like, down to the down to leading raids in Dark Ages of
2: Camelot. Which was not a baby MMO. No. Like Dark Age of Camelot was the real shit.
1: Yeah. And and making sure that his like the Formula One motorhome had internet installed so that he could play
2: god damn i want to hang with this dude yeah like it's so it's so good i love a guy who you just know has like a boot disc hanging around his <laughs> like oh uh, yeah this is this is the thing i use for my 486 build uh yeah yeah i want i want to hang with a guy like that i also so i saw his comments uh he, yeah he he does bag on stroll Uh I also, I think, tend to have some of the same prejudices about straw a little bit. So I tend to identify a little more with what Villeneuve is putting out there. But he's raising the bigger issue, uh, which I do agree with, is this idea that, you know, basically racing has always been, like, kind of a rich kid sport. And a lot of, like, if you look at the names that repeat through racing history, like, there's a degree of inherited uh, status in F1. But, like, you know, one of the points he's, he's raising is that literally if you're a middle class kid or something, like there's not much point in trying to become a racer because, you know, just the, the development stages now are so expensive and, and so prohibitive uh, for, for what they demand of, of young of, of families of, of young racers. Uh, it's very hard to break in. Um, And I think that is a I'm not sure there's a way that Motorsports of all things The most like just lighting piles of money On fire for the hell of it I'm not sure there's any way to introduce like Real economic justice or equal opportunity In motorsport but it's really bad Right now
1: Yeah I mean uh, actually same podcast They interviewed Esteban O'Conn Who his family basically Sold their business and their home And moved into Like a Winnebago and went around uh, to karting races. That's that's what they had to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I to, yeah. I, I totally get um, all of that. I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel bad uh, to to see him just hating on Stroll for that reason alone. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's easy to do, and uh, I get it. But it's, I think. I've been trying to like characterize why it rubs me the wrong way, and I think it's because when you say that they got there only because of the money, you're kind of ignoring the hard work that everyone else has done. Like it's if it was only a matter of money, then you couldn't have possibly gotten there by
2: talent. I don't know. I, I I'm yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Uh, because <laughs> no, because because I think I'm not sure your position actually like holds together that well. Like I think strolls okay. in, like I think that there are there are drivers that come from wealthy backgrounds who do make a mark in for, like I mean Senna was from a very privileged background, right? If you watch yeah. if you watch Rush, like Nikki Lauda, hardly a pauper, uh, like definitely put his own money uh, into his career, but he had family money he could draw on uh, to to get it done like that. Uh, but at the same time, like, from day one, these guys were, like, proving, hey, I'm not just here with, like, the silver spoon that, you know, got me this far. Like, I'm bringing some serious talent. And so you, you don't hear this this line of attack brought up against those guys. You didn't even hear it. Uh, well, I can't speak to, like, how Senna uh, was, was greeted in the sport. But, like, you generally don't hear that argument being opened up too much on drivers except those who are like explicitly there because they have somebody's deep pockets and interest behind them like i think if you're if you're on stroll and like you just haven't shown results yet like you have like we're is this his second season or his third second right uh i think it's his second full season yeah um we've yet to have that moment where like, and it's tough to judge because Williams has been in a bad spot for a while, but we've yet to have that moment where we're like, it's a bad car, but he's good in it. You know what I mean? Like he is, he is showing right. that there's, he's doing something that like he belongs in the sport. Uh, and instead what we're seeing is things aren't going at Williams. Dad may have just bought an F1 team, dude. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, it's a uh, straws, a tough one to defend. He is. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Uh. You know, I think mean, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of privileged dudes uh in F one but I think there is a there's kind of a cynicism that attaches to pay drivers and uh people with like tons of family money. And I think Stroll's just gonna have to carry that until until he proves it. He could also maybe tell his dad to like maybe get his dad further back in the background uh, a little bit. But (laughs) if you need, if if you need daddy out there making these big corporate moves, uh, to to help secure you a decent ride, a lot of the drivers are going to talk. Uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna look rough when you're put up against the Ocons who, you know, sank family money into it. Uh, Van Dorn, uh, who by all accounts, like also had his family, like really kind of give their all to get him this far. um, it's hard not to think about like what other talents don't get the opportunities that like a stroll does, right? Like how many great drivers are stuck down in lower tiers of racing because they're never going to have the ability to bring like million dollar packages, uh, to their career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, yeah, again, like I, I totally get it. I guess maybe I just don't like just ragging on someone because they had an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know. I I I haven't heard, a, you know, a, a long form interview with him. I don't know if he's actually cool or not. Uh I may hate the guy's guts, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, I don't know. I, I just I don't like jumping to conclusions on people, I guess. Um that, but yeah, for sure being rich helps very much in racing as it does in a lot of things. So um yeah, he, he very clearly has an advantage. Uh but Jacques Villeneuve seems like a huge nerd and a fun guy to hang out with. <laughs> he also apparently reads fantasy and science fiction a lot. Uh, and uh, the interview interviewer even asked him, "Like, do you, do you do you collect old computers? Like, you collect old laptops?" He's like, no, "No, no, no. I'm talking about the 70s and 80s. Back then, you had great games despite the terrible hardware. Today, you have great games despite the terrible programming."
2: Wow. God damn! What a line. Yeah, Jacques Villeneuve, go on (laughs) waypoint. Yeah, you you should totally invite him (laughs) on. So hang on. uh, Did you see, by the way, the uh, big interview that Zach Brown had with race fans? I kind of skimmed through it a little bit. Did you read it more in depth? I did. uh, If we're talking about like just prejudices and people, we take a just weird a weird stance against for reasons you can't totally justify. I guess Zach Brown is mine. Um, I don't know. It's tough. He he gave an interview and it's clear like most reporters that he talks to, like most coverage I see tends to be pretty positive toward like him personally and like how he comes across. Um, But the point of his interview is basically honestly like between the lines he's playing defense. He's basically saying like it's – you know that you know that story about like Khrushchev writing two letters uh, when he sort of pushed out of power in the Soviet Union? no okay uh, so somebody somebody reminded me of this. we were talking about Zach Brown um online it was a it was a shift f one listener I forget who it was, but uh, it's a story I remember pretty well, uh, which is that Khrushchev loses power and he tells his successor, and this story is hundred percent apocryphal, almost certainly bullshit uh, <laughs> but he he tells his successor like he has his successor two letters and is like. You know, anytime you get into just incredible trouble, uh, you, open, you open the first letter. You don't know your way out. Just open that first letter. And eventually, his successor gets into huge trouble. He opens the first letter, and it says, blame everything on me. It's all my fault. And say so you're cleaning up the mess the last administration left. And so Khrushchev's successor goes out and does that, uh, and things are okay for a while. And then he gets back into trouble. Things are going under fast. And he opens the second letter, and the second letter says, "Write two letters." And <laughs> I think that's kind of like that's kind of what Zach, Zach Brown is in the first letter uh, phase right now. Like things have not gone well. Um, there's race fans also had sort of a note that uh, McLaren have missed their revenue targets, but Zach Brown is saying like he hit his advertising targets. Uh, he signed more sponsors than anybody on the on the grid. Uh, So he's doing his job, but his argument is that Ron Dennis left a really, like, dysfunctional company behind, and a really dysfunctional management structure behind, And and Brown is trying to fix all that, and he's trying to introduce a lot of, like, traditional hierarchies in the various departments, and his argument is that, like, there used to be a different management structure with a lot of, like, people having multiple lines of reporting. Uh, in the structure, so you had like multiple bosses who could all like, you know, get involved in other people's teams and divisions and really cause a lot of chaos. His argument is he's streamlining that and he's fixing it, and that'll put the team on a sound footing and make it comparable to the other teams on the grid. Um, I don't know, maybe like it it, it. it all makes sense, but at the same time, like this era has just been so bad. You know, it's, yeah. it's a little bit like the Horner and Alonzo. Like is it maybe part of it, you. And it and it
1: doesn't. Number one, it's been like this a long time, and it doesn't seem to be showing any signs of improvement.
2: Yeah, I I guess the thing that turned me a little bit against Brown is um, in that F one in that documentary on Amazon. Remember when they sort of unveiled a car to him and like the team showing he's his first look at the car and the teams genuinely excited about like, hey, the boss is going to look at the car. Yeah, and he's just kind of an asshole about the entire thing. He just starts complaining about like how it looks and how it's gonna be tough to sell sponsorship because of the paint job and this needs to be changed. And like, yeah, people need to be perfectionists and demanding, but it was kind of hard to miss the degree to which he completely deflates the room around him. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, like. Leaders need to be a little bit, like, you know, confidence building and a little bit inspiring. Uh Ron Dennis was an asshole and made a lot of, like, unreasonable demands of his workers. But also, he gave the impression of being driven and caring to a ridiculous degree about the health of the racing team. It was his passion. Uh, I'm not sure Zach Brown gives off that same vibe. And I'm not sure he's going to be the person to to sort of bring this team out of the wilderness. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, uh, I guess we'll see, but I, I kind of agree with you in that, like, I, I don't see a lot of, like, shiny moments to point to, or things to say, like, well, that could pan out well, and that could probably be good. It's all just like, maybe they'll get better.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of all we have. <laughs> and it just depends. What are you supposed to say at this point? Like, yeah. how how's, how's your chassis and aero? Bad. How's your engine? <laughs> uh, not great. Like, what, like you're basically starting over um, Yeah, it's so every rough. year
1: and that's the thing yeah yeah uh speaking of yearly uh yearly releases i don't really have a good segue i'm sorry <laughs> f1 2018 rob uh number one you should not believe anything we say because we ran an ad for f1 2018 on this podcast i but didn't number two, run an ad I'm just here. I I ran an ad. Yeah. I ran an ad on F1 2018. Rob, tell me about F1
2: 2018. Uh, F1 2018 is not to be missed. No. Uh, F1 2018... It's tough for me to judge because I didn't play F1 2017 too much. Hmm. Uh, So, like, people I've talked to who play 2017 a lot, a lot of the good features in 2018 were already there in 2017. Uh, However... Playing 2018 as someone who took a couple, couple years off, this is probably the most I've enjoyed this series in like eight years, uh, basically since it started, maybe since 2011. Uh, it's really, really good, and the career mode is a lot of fun. Uh, the way they handle like, on-track testing for car development is really rewarding and satisfying to dig into. Um, like. The fact that it teaches you different styles of attacking a track, like um, okay, you need to turn a competitive time, but you need to do lift and coast uh, on this. Oh, on this wow. time wow! Around the track, and like they give you pointers, like hey, like the best thing to do with lift and coast is like coast at the end of the fast straights, uh, and then accelerate fast in the short si- in the sectors. Of lots of short straights, and like get between the corners fast. But like it's the straights where you save a lot of your fuel. Um, and accelerate gently. Like, don't don't over-torque it at all. And so, like, can you drive fuel efficiently uh, around an F1 track? But if you're doing that, it's also going to completely change your braking points. It's going to completely change, in a lot of cases, like, even necessarily, like, your racing line because you're coming to things so late, so differently. Um, and the game kind of teaches you all of that. Like, by the time, like, the race day comes around, you have this... Feel for your car and how it performs on the track, and you're able to do like it's that feeling of like, hey, this is what it must be like to be a competent Formula One driver, where like you're out there and your battery is completely drained. You have to recharge it, but you do have some extra fuel, so you can add, you can run the rich fuel mixture. Uh, but your tires are also starting to go, so you need to conserve those as well. And you built some, up the intuition. Like, yeah, yeah you, you know what to like, do in that case. In the weeds
1: racing stuff. Not just not video game stuff. That's like I uh, I I haven't I mean and I'm I haven't played uh all the modern racing games out there, but uh that's kind of amazing that that a racing game is and, and like a mainstream racing game like the one that has Formula 1 written on it is doing that stuff. That's really cool.
2: Yeah, it's really rewarding uh to sort of develop that familiarity with the car and it does make you like realize how much these drivers are probably doing with car settings during the race like i have not run a single race where i just start and point the car around the track and that's all i do every single race i am futzing with the uh ERS settings like every lap Changing wow. where I'm you know using more boost and when I'm going to recovery mode uh I'm tweaking fuel settings it's really demanding and it's really rewarding and the thing that really like makes it stick the landing driving AI is really good like really? I have not seen if you play all the racing games you get used to um slot slot car ai mm-hmm. where like they can take the line really well and run like fast laps, but they don't have any sense for. How to actually race, how to actually pass, overtake. Not so this year. Like, this is probably some of the best on-track racing of any racing game I'm playing right now. Um, Wow. There are... They make very good moves and aggressive moves, but not stupid ones. And uh, when they make mistakes, and they do, it kind of, like... It kind of tracks. Like, like... If if Ricardo is trying to take you going around the outside of a corner, I've a couple, had a couple incidents in my career in F one 2018 with Danny Ricardo, uh, and he makes contact with you trying to take the hard line on the outside of a outside of a corner. It kind of feels like the real thing. Like I've seen that happen like multiple times on film, yeah. and like now now I'm living it. Uh, so I mean, shit. I kind of I kind of love this game, man. Wow, great. That's great to hear.
1: Um, should we, should we go to driver standings?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay, um, they're the same as last time, but we have a new race, so I figured I'd do a refresh here. Lewis Hamilton is on top with 213. Sebastian Vettel right behind with 189. I guess not right behind, but he's there. Uh, Kimi Räikkönen in third with 146, followed by Valtteri Bottas, 132. Danny Rick has 118. Max Verstappen, 105. And then a big gap down to Hulkenberg in seventh place with 52. Magnussen, 45. Alonso, 44. Perez and Sainz tied at 30, with Esteban Ocon right behind with 29. In 13th, we've got Pierre Gasly with 26. Grosjean's got 21. Leclerc with 13. Van Dorn with eight. Ericsson with five. Stroll with four. Hartley with two. And Sergey Sirotkin bringing up the uh-oh. uh oh. Constructor standings: Mercedes on top with 345. Uh, Ferrari's in second with 335. Red Bull in third with 223. Renault's got 82. Gene Haas has 66. Force India with 59. Uh, McLaren's got 52. Toro Rosso with 28. Sauber's got 18. And Williams has four. Uh, In the Fantasy League, by the way, invite code 0B62FE will also be on F1.cool if you can't remember that. Uh, Number one, Speedy McCready's Still holding it strong in uh, first place, followed by Bois Party, Haas Tasks <laughs> Tax Fraud, Bobby Gondo Racing, Orange B-King F1, David Coulthard's Chin in sixth place, Trendsetters, Maiden Haas, Scott's Tots, and Funky Bunch rounding out the top ten. Uh, by the way, you can now create multiple teams, up to three teams in uh, F1 Fantasy. Uh, you can enter multiple teams into leagues. And you can create and join leagues that start from any race during the season. So uh, a lot more options for that now. Uh, and let's roll right into racing around the world. What do you say? We've got a lot of racing going on. It seems like maybe multiple series have come back from their summer breaks. we got DTM uh, there in Misano at the World Circuit, Marco Simoncelli. Uh, I heard that they might be changing the DTM name, which uh, would be a real bummer, because I like saying DTM. Uh, Formula 2 will be supporting Formula 1 at the Circuit de Spa-Francorchamps. Formula 3 Europe is also at the World Circuit Marco Simoncelli. IndyCar is at the Gateway Motorsports Park. Uh, Supercars, the Australian kind, they're at The Bend Motorsport Park. Uh, and MotoGP is at Silverstone for the Octo British Grand Prix. And Camping World Truck is at the Canadian Tire Motorsports Part for the Chevrolet Silverado 250. Could it be? Is it true there's no NASCAR this weekend? Is, has the weekend trucks are running. Gone, the trucks are running, but the, uh, the cup, what do we call it now? The Monster Energy Super Cup or something? I don't think the regular old NASCAR uh, are running. Surprise.
2: I am heartbroken.
1: Uh, But Formula One is back. First practice starts August 24th. That's Friday at 2 a.m. Pacific time, followed by second practice at 6 a.m. Third practice on Saturday Saturday. August 25th at 3 a.m. Followed by qualifying at 6 a.m. on Saturday. And the race, Rob, Sunday, August 26th at 6.10 a.m. I could not be more excited. Uh, Speaking of NASCAR, we got an email here at uh, f1.cool slash emails. The subject line says, NASCAR CEO feelings from a NASCAR fan. This is from uh brian nope it's from david (laughs) not even close sorry brian (laughs) he says hey guys long time first time uh, after being an f1 fan a couple years ago mostly because of this podcast that's awesome i bought iRacing and started doing some online races good man long story short turning left and right is hard so i ended up doing mostly oval track races and now i'm hooked I've been a NASCAR fan for a few years now, and I think it might be worthwhile to give some insight into how fans of the left turn feel about this. He is referring to, um, the NASCAR CEO, uh, being arrested for a DUI and, uh, uh, ceding the CEO spot to somebody else. Um, Surprisingly we're all pretty pretty freaking excited in a decently dark or decidedly dark way about Brian France that's the CEO. Uh, his exploits and having him step down. He's the CEO of NASCAR because he inherited it from his father and he doesn't seem to have any passion for the sport. A lot of my, a lot of fans, myself included are of the opinion that he should take a lot of the blame for the decline in viewership and the overall health of the sport. Most of us are viewing this as a pretty solid chance for the sport to get a bad or to get a breath of fresh air and hopefully benefit from a change in leadership. Basically Brian France is the Bernie Eccleston of NASCAR. NASCAR and he won't be missed by most of us. Love the podcast. And I look forward to continuing to listen. He also links, uh, some pretty good, um, uh, YouTube videos of NASCAR cars bumping into each other. Like not only rubbing his racing kind of stuff, but like torpedoing each other. So uh, I will link those in the show notes as well. Cause, uh, I don't know NASCAR. I've watched it a few times. seems like a good time. The one thing that kind of bugs me about it is that you can watch the whole race, and then everything just changes in the last lap. So what did I do watching that whole race? Um, but uh, Do they do that
2: thing? I'm, I haven't watched in ages, uh, so maybe people can inform me. Uh, but definitely I noticed when I watched like indie Oval Racing, uh, mm-hmm. there would be just suspicious uh, full-course cautions for cleaning the track, which it's important, and you want those tracks to be clean and, and safe. Obviously you want them to be safe. I'm not sure. You can make open-wheel oval racing uh, safe, as we as we unfortunately saw with the Wickens accident uh, the other week. Yes. Uh, you know, well wishes to, to him. Uh, but in IndyCar it definitely felt like they were sort of massaging those gaps and making sure that the racing stayed close and competitive all the way to the checkered flag. And I'm kind of curious, like, do they do that a little bit in NASCAR as well? Like, do they... There's certainly an accordion effect just with the way that racing works, but I am kind of curious. Like, do they like to keep you guessing till the end? Do they maybe help it along a little bit?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that that that'd be uh, yeah. David slash Brian, right back in. <laughs> I'd love to know the answer to that. Um, we have one more email here. This from Wes. Uh, He says, hey, guys, I'm a big fan of your podcast, and I'm a constant listener of it on Spotify. Interesting. Okay. I got into the sport shortly after the Australian Grand Prix, and I can't get enough of it. I usually root root for underdog teams like Haas or Sauber, but the more and more I watch, I am consistently drawn to the red Ferrari, specifically Sebastian Vettel. I recently graduated from college and have moved into my own place away from my parents. This was a big step for my parents since I am an only child. Uh, One of the ways that we have always connected, though, is through sport. I was hoping you guys might have some ideas on what F one races slash videos I could show them so that they would get into the sport. Forza Ferrari, Wes. What immediately comes to mind for you, Rob?
2: Oh man, trying to get your family. This is hard for me to relate to because my family like has been in it for twenty years. I'm trying to think. Um... I
1: I would I would say if they're not motorsport fans. Um, it's a harder sell, but I think you are, you are aided greatly by the fact that two really good movies have come out recently. Mm. First of all, rush, uh, very watchable, um, uh, feature film, um, that you don't need to be a, uh, a motorsport fan to enjoy. Ron Howard directed it. So, you know,
2: anyone maybe his best movie. You think so? Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's the one that feels least like a Ron Howard movie in a lot of ways like it's i think the most it it feels like the one with the most like complicated uh central relationships um hmm, which okay. i don't usually associate with a lot of Howard movies um but yeah i mean it's yeah it's a sensational movie and it's got it it moves fast and it does a great job of like unpacking what's cool about the sport it's a good film
1: yeah uh and then the other one would be Senna, which is a documentary, but also very well done. And I would say that you don't need to be a race fan to necessarily enjoy. It really focuses on the man, um, but also gives you insight into how the sport works and uh is, is more it's closer to the modern era, it's uh than, than Rush's. Rush's is like the seventies, eighties, and yeah. then Senna's more than nineties. Um yeah. Uh, I, I would also. Getting into Formula One requires, um, it's not a it's not a steep learning curve so much as it has a steep initial hump to get over. Uh, so I would say work on work on describing how things work, uh, so that when you s- finally do sit down and watch a race together, which I would recommend doing. Um, don't just like have them watch a race, sit down with them and then like be prepared to explain everything along the way. Um, uh, because if you don't understand, like, first of all, get that emotional connection using the movies and then get the technical connection by explaining it. Because if you just are watching cars go around in a circle, it's not going to be enjoyable.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. The, the, I would start with those movies uh, for sure. Um, you mentioned one as well. Is that one you put on the list? That's, uh, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Oh, and that Amazon documentary actually does a really good job of like, hey, here's what uh, Race Driver, uh, the McLaren look, which is. Yeah, uh, Grand Prix Driver. Grand Prix Driver. That's right. Yeah. Um, also does a good job of sort of unpacking how the sport works, what it's like to be on the inside of it. Uh, and does set up some of the dramas we see today which is you know kim mclaren gets act together uh, yeah. so that's that's another good resource to to tap into
1: yeah i would i would again say that that's, that series is sort of a misnomer it's not really about the grand prix driver it's more about the team um but i think that's that and actually the williams documentary is another really good look at oh, I how know, a uh,
2: williams documentary
1: yeah. Oh, you haven't seen that one? No, we it's on really Netflix. We talked about
2: on the show before, but yeah, it's on Netflix. It's just called Williams.
1: Okay. Um, that is also a really interesting look into uh, a Formula One team. They talk to everybody. They talk to. Mo- it's mostly Claire. Um, yeah. But it, that is that's quite a story. I would recommend that one.
2: You know, not a bad movie to watch would be. Um, it's not about F1 necessarily, but it's so foundational to Ferrari. Uh, the 24-hour war. Uh, which okay. was uh, Adam Carolla's uh, documentary about the Ford Ferrari rivalry at Le Mans. Okay, and uh, but it touches a lot on like the early day, the early days of Ferrari, and sort of the the lineage there, and how they approach racing and why it's so important to that to that team and that company uh and it's really it's it's a really interesting uh documentary and gives you some great insight into those old days of racing uh and there's a lot of in those days there's also a ton of crossover between um endurance racing and, and f one uh so these team these these programs were not totally separable so that's another good thing to help people get into racing
1: yeah well good luck um that's always fun to have uh to have more people uh <laughs> be able to talk to um, and uh, and watch with so uh, good luck with that um, as always you can find our show notes on f1.cool and in your podcast app uh, until next time I'm Drew Scanlon uh, Danny O'Dwyer again on uh, uh, per, why can I not Patreon remember leave. Patreon leave that's right uh, Rob Zachney uh, where can people find you
2: uh, at Rob Zachney on Twitter or you can check out what I'm up to over at Waypoint at waypoint.vice.com
1: excellent uh anything else from you rob you want to send people into the next race with uh
2: boy not really just prayers for rain man like i can't even i don't even have a picture in my head of what spa looks like with the sun out
1: i can't see it always at least cloudy yeah Uh, i'm so excited uh have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next time